0: Welcome to Destiny Church's weekly podcast. We're a church located in Columbia, Maryland, right between D.C. and Baltimore, and we're so glad that you decided to listen to our podcast. If you're looking for a message of hope, purpose, and destiny, then you're tuned into the right place. If you have any testimonies of what God has done in your life as a result of listening to this podcast, please email us at stories at your we love to hear how God is impacting people's lives through what He is doing at our church. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear from God as we jump into this week's message.
1: Here we go, Genesis 37, verse one, and it says this. Now Jacob dwelt in the land. Can you read that next phrase with me? Where his father was a... Stranger, remember that? That's going to come back in the message. In the land of Canaan, this is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flocks with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. Y'all, those are some wives. Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his snitch. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. He was his baby boy. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably. They had nothing nice to say to the boy. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. He said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves, binding grain, wheat, in the field. Then behold, my sheaves arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf." And his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. How many people in here, you have younger siblings, maybe you're the oldest or the second, or you have siblings or cousins. Can you imagine a family member saying, God told me that you're going to worship me one day. I wouldn't kill him but I'd beat them down, I'll tell you that right now. Let's pray, Father God, we're just grateful. God, we're thankful. We declare glory and praise, power and strength. Worthy are you, God. God, who laid down your life so that we can experience life. God, we pray that you'd speak to us in this moment. Take us one step closer to the perfect plan, the destiny that you have for us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Hey, before you sit down, can you high five two people? Tell somebody, stop dreaming. Come on, tell somebody, stop dreaming, stop dreaming. Stop dreaming, yeah. You dream too much, You're dreaming too much. We're in week four, somebody say week four. I feel like, bro, man, it's like week four. We're in week four of a series that we started calling Picture. This and the whole idea or the mindset behind this series is you have to have a picture behind what you're believing God to do in your life. Life doesn't go in the direction of what you wish would happen. Life doesn't go in the direction of what you hope will happen. Life goes in the direction of your faith, and you can't have faith without having some type of image or picture of what you're believing God to do. The Bible says, as a person thinks in their mind, the direction that they have in their mind is what's going to come to pass in their life. Last week, I was preaching a message to a very small particular group of people, which was everybody in the room. <laughs> and that message was this whole idea that your dreams are too small. God told Abram, come out of your tent because the environment that you're in is limiting your expectation. You need to come to the expanse of what God desires to do in your life. I just feel obligated to go camping after last week's message. I was like, I bash camping so much, I should go camping. Now I'm not gonna go camping, but at least I feel like I should. But last week was your dreams are too small. And, and I'd like to preach another message today to a small minority of people. It's literally just everybody in the room and uh, that is that your dreams, your dreams are too big. All of us in this room, we have a dream for our life and, and it's just too big. You, you remember growing up in school when, when your teacher told you, you can be anything you put your mind to. If you put your mind to it, you can achieve it. Or maybe a parent told you or, or a mentor say, man, there's nothing you can't do. Well hi, I'm your friendly pastor, I'm your friend, and I've come to tell you you've been lied to. You can't do anything that you put your mind to. Prove it. I'll prove it to you. If you, like me, are five foot 11 and a quarter, <laughs> I don't care how hard you work, how hard you work out, you will never be an NBA center. You can try as hard as you can. You can practice. You can go to college. You can even maybe make the NBA, but you're not going to be a center because <laughs> the center is like, what, six, eight minimum, and that's like probably the shortest center in the NBA. You're just not tall enough. Uh, I'll give you another one. If you weigh 175, 185 pounds, dripping wet, all the clothes in your closet on, and that's all you got, you will never be an NFL lineman. I don't care how hard you work, how hard you practice, you, will, you don't weigh enough. And for some of us, we're believing God to fulfill a dream in our lives that's not from God. And he's never said he was going to do that. There's nothing more cruel than expecting out of someone something that God never placed inside of them. And it breaks my heart when I see people that are hell-bent on my life is going to look like this and I'm going to accomplish this. And this is my dream and and this is what I'm going to do. And that's what you want to do, but that's not what God has for you. You you have this dream and like we talked about in the first week, you have a dream, but you've missed the step where you submit that dream to be corrected by God. Pastor, we are three minutes into this message. And I have never been more discouraged in in my—the whole point of coming to church to be encouraged. This guy is not really good at his job. Okay, here we go. I'm going to encourage you. Can I encourage you for a second? That dream that you have that's not God, drop it. Because the one that He has for you is so much better than you could ever imagine. It it doesn't register to me why people insist on holding on to things that are not God, as if God was going to take something from you and give you something worse. Do you really think the God that died on the cross for you would take your good dream and replace it with an average dream? If he's taking something from you, it is only because what he has for you is better than you could have. Imagine. For some of us, we need to dump our dream altogether because it's not God. For others of us, we have a dream and it is from God. It's just not for right now. What, what, what are you saying, Pastor? Because last week you told me my dreams are too small. This week, you know, hate tell me dreams are too small. I went home. I got out of my tent. I dumped all my friends. I had a vision meeting. Like, I have a vision. Somebody asked you, you this morning. He said, Pastor, I spent this morning doing my vision board. Now I got pictures of what I'm, and now you're telling me my vision is too big. I am so confused. What do you want from me? I'm not necessarily saying your vision is too big. What I'm trying to do is help you to be sober yeah. about the vision that you have because everybody has a dream, everybody has a vision, but, but many of us, were a little bit naive on how that vision is gonna come to pass, and, and we lack sobriety, and what I don't want is I don't want you to be in the position of Joseph that when God gives you a dream and, and downloads it on your heart, you tell the wrong person. Wow. You stand up in front of your brother like, hey, look, you should be happy that you know me because one day people are gonna pay to know me. No, no, no. We should do with our dreams what Mary did. Remember Mary, the mother of Jesus? The Bible says that different people, that that, that priest, that that even the shepherds came and they said, that son that you have, he is royalty. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And here's what the Bible says. Mary didn't tell anybody. It says that she harbored those words in her heart. So God, could this be, this is bigger than anything you ever thought about but I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to wait to see what you do with it. So my goal today is not to crush your dreams. Hopefully I haven't done that in the first five minutes. I still have another 20 minutes to do that. But <laughs> what I do want to do is I just want to give you just three quick thoughts that, that shouldn't crush your dreams, but should, should bring a little bit of sobriety to them. The, the first thing is this, if you could write this down, every dream takes time. You gotta understand that dream that you have, that thing that you're believing God to do in your life, it will come to pass, just not tomorrow. Like, 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 like dreams don't just happen just like that. Like when you think about it, a dream from God, or, or here we call it destiny, the destiny, the destiny that God has for me. He has some great future, he has some great plan for my life. When I think about destiny, I think about the word destination. Destination speaks about something in the distance. If it was right here, it wouldn't be a destination, it would be my location. The simple fact that it's called a destination means that there's a trip, there's a journey, there's some time, it's in the distance. My, my, my sister-in-law is pregnant. My, my brother and sister law are, are having a baby. I'm going to be an uncle in March. Y'all, I'm an uncle times two. I, I have two kids. I love my kids and, and they're great. I also really love being an uncle because you could play with them. You could toss them up. You can give them candy and give them back. <laughs> and if you, you, you have children recently with all the technology or a family member, you know they have this little app that tracks the growth of the baby. It's, it's over 40 weeks. And, and say, so, you know, your, your, your baby is the size of a plum. You have a little plum. You have a little plum baby. And, and, and it grows from a plum to an apple and, and from an apple to an avocado. And just random fruit, little avocado head, little baby. <laughs> it goes from avocado to a cantaloupe. And you're just, we got a cantaloupe now, guys. It's going well. We got a cantaloupe. And, and, and everybody's excited because but, but that mother, she is, we use the word Expecting. It's the remedial class, I'm sorry. <laughs> we say she's expecting. Why? Because she's pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Now, somebody who's expecting, do you call them every day and say, has the baby come yet? No. Why? Because the expectation is for a time in the future. I didn't know this until I had my first kid, but apparently you're not pregnant for nine months, you're pregnant for 10 months. It's, it's 40 weeks, the things they don't tell you in, in anatomy class, but anyway, it, it's 40 weeks and, and you know there's a due date and we're waiting for the due date. Matter of fact, we really don't want that baby to come before the due date. I, I have a really good friend and he, he just had a baby and, and the due date came and it went past and the baby still wasn't born. And he's like, oh my goodness, I don't know what we're gonna do. I said, bro, chill out. Let that baby cook. (laughs) Because the longer that baby stays in there, the fatter it gets. And the fatter the baby gets, the more they sleep. Just trust me, let that thing cook. You are, (laughs) baby was born three or four days after the delivery date. You know this child sleeps from 11 p.m. to 5 a.m.? I said, bro, that's all night long. That's about all the sleep you're going to get until she turns 18. So you need to enjoy. There's not a rushing it. Matter of fact, there's a fear of rushing it because we want that baby to reach full maturity before it's birth. Listen to me. That dream that you have, God has impregnated your faith with possibility. It is for an an appointed time, the Bible says. But you don't want to rush it. The problem is when we get so fixated on the finish line, we get so locked in on the dream that God has for us. We're unable to enjoy the season that we're in right now. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. And there's so many people that are despising the season that they're in right now because you're obsessed about a dream in the future. People, some of you in, in this room and in, in this church, you, you, you're single and you have a dream of being married. You, you can't wait to be married. It's just like, man, I just, I just know what my marriage is going to look like. I actually read somebody, this lady who bought her wedding dress before her boyfriend even proposed. She's like, I just got a word from God. He was about to propose, so I went and bought my wedding dress. Now, it sounds crazy, except he proposed three days later, so I guess she actually did hear from God. <laughs> but sometimes we could be so, con- oh my goodness, this one, I'm going to wear my wedding, with flowers, this is going to be in my wedding party, and all this other kind of stuff. Listen, I was married, and my wife's not here, so I can tell you for real, for real, like I'm joking. <laughs> Marriage is amazing, yeah. most of the time. <laughs> but so is being single. Like, sometimes you could be so consumed about what's next yeah. that you don't understand how good you have it right now. Can I get somebody who's single in this room to say amen? Yeah. Hear me, singles. When you have your budget meeting every month, yeah. woo, <laughs> you don't got to talk to nobody. You sitting there over your paycheck <laughs> talking about how much you want to spend on food this month. You know what? All of it, you know? That's a really good idea. That's exactly what I was thinking. You need to enjoy the season you're in right now. You wake up, you're like, you know what? I'm not cooking today, I wanna go out to eat. Where do you wanna go out to eat? I don't know, where do you wanna go out to eat? Let's decide together. You don't have to run any of your decisions by anyone. You're at the mall, you see something you like, guess what, you don't call nobody. uh, Hey babe, how you doing? How of kids? Things are good? Yeah. So, you know, I was at the mall getting you something and I just, none of that. Do whatever you, enjoy the season that you're in right now. Then it's amazing. You're obsessed over getting married. And as soon as you get married, now you want to have kids. It's like every dream has a dream on the other side of it. It's like we're married, we've been married for 13 minutes and this is a great time, but we can't wait to have kids. Like, why do you want to have kids? We, we want to be a real family. You, you ain't a real family without kids. Well, that's what my grandma told me. <laughs> Your grandma's crazy. Look, kids are amazing most of the time. Kids are great, but you know what's also great? Being married with no kids. You know what marriage with no kids look like? You get dressed, they get dressed, and y'all leave. There ain't no baby bag. There's no diapers. There's no change of clothes. There's no, oh, we can't go out to lunch because it's their nap time. And if they don't get their nap, they turn into a little demon. So we got to stay in this house on house arrest because we got, you just do what you want. There's no being out to dinner saying, nigga, hurry up and bring this dessert because the babysitter's only here till nine. And we got. there ain't no babysitter. Stay as long as you want. You don't have kids, watch this. You don't even got to go home. (laughs) You stay out all night long if you get you a hotel enjoy the season that you're in you're obsessed over that promotion I can't wait to move up in this company to have more risk it's coming but until then just enjoy leaving at 5 p.m. no matter what's going on I see you on Monday whole world burning to a ground but it's not your problem so walk up <laughs> We have to learn to enjoy the season that we're in. Matthew chapter 6, verse 11 says this, give us this day, yeah. our daily bread. Another one says this in Matthew six thirty-four. It says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This, this is not a very encouraging verse. I thought if I wrote this verse, I would have said, hey, don't worry about tomorrow because God has it under control. That's not what the verse said. The verse says, don't worry about tomorrow because you got some worries today that you need. You need to worry, but you need to worry about the worries today. Here's what it's saying. If you're so consumed in tomorrow, you'll forfeit today. We can be so locked in on what's next that we're not maximizing what is I think, and I wasn't gonna put it, Kobe Bryant was actually an illustration in today's message. I, I, I was actually, it was random. Even before I even heard the news all morning, I was just thinking through this. I saw an interview, and anybody who knows Kobe, his work ethic was unbelievable. And he said something in an interview that blew my mind. He said, I don't think about championships. It's not my goal. He said, my goal is to dominate practice today. And he said, if I dominate practice today, then I want to dominate practice tomorrow and the next day and then the game and then. And he said, if I just dominate every single day, championships are inevitable. They will happen. I want to focus on maximizing where I am today. You can be so consumed in what God has for your tomorrow that you're forfeiting what he's placed inside of you today. There's something about this passage stuck out to me in Genesis chapter 37 verse one, it says this, now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This tells us that Jacob's family, they weren't known. They were nobodies. They they didn't have any influence. They didn't have any status. They they were outcasts. God called Abram, his great grandfather, out of a country. And he says, I'm going to take you to a land that I'll show you when you get there. And Abraham lived there, and Isaac lived there, and Jacob lived there. And they were nobodies. They were just that really big family on the corner. Not only were their family nobodies, but Joseph was the youngest at the time. Benjamin was born later, but Joseph was was the most insignificant in an insignificant family. No wonder his dream was to be important. No wonder his dream was of people worshiping and bowing him. Here's one of the things that I've discovered. The Bible says we prophesy in part. Any, even dreams from God are diluted with our humanity And Joseph was like, man, I want to be known. I want to be significant. I want people to bow and worship me. Here's what I've discovered. When my dream is motivated by a demon that I'm running from, it will steal my ability to enjoy the season that God has placed me in. You may not realize this, but a lot of us have made inner vows without even realizing it that are driving us past the place of peace and joy. Maybe you grew up and saw parents work their hands to the bone to provide for the children at the end of their lives. They had nothing to show for it. And without even realizing it, you you, you made a vow, I'm not going to be broke. I'm I'm going to have something to show with my life. I'm going to have something that I can produce at the end of my life. And without even realizing it's pushing you and it's driving you to a place that's unhealthy. Some of you saw a parent or a loved one constantly give of themselves to so many people to the point where it cost them their own health. And you looked at that and you said, that's not going to be me. I'm not going to let everybody suck the life out of me and use me and then cast me aside. I'm going to look out for me. And without even realizing it, trying not to be what you've seen drives you to a place where all you can see is the future. And you can't just sit back and enjoy the season that God has you in right now. Every dream takes time. The second thing is just write this down. Every dream has opposition. Every dream that is worth, I'll say it this way, that's worth going after comes with struggles, comes with battles, comes with setbacks. Why do you say that's worth coming after? Here's why. Because every dream from God is about expanding His kingdom. And Satan's goal is to stop God's kingdom from expanding. So Satan always opposes whatever God is doing here on earth. So when I'm going after something and I experience no opposition, I get nervous. I heard one preacher said, if you're walking in one direction and you don't feel any resistance, it may be because you're walking in the same direction as Satan. Because you should be running into him at some point. Here's the thing: if your dream is from God, opposition is normal. But if you're naive about that dream, if you just take it for granted, you just think you're gonna build some real estate empire without any issues. You you, you just think that you're gonna transform your family's story or build a great ministry, or you just think it's gonna be that easy. I was counseling this couple, they we were getting married, and they said, Pastor, we want to write our own vows. I said, oh, that's cute. That's awesome, romantic and all. Why do you want to write your own vows? They said, well, well we don't like the traditional vows. I said, oh, what about the, the traditional vows don't you like? They said, well, there's this part in the middle of the vows where, where it says um, for, for better or for worse. I like that better part, but I'm not speaking worse over, over my, my marriage. And, and then there's this other part where it says for richer. I believe that, that's why I'm getting married because she's loaded. God is gonna bless us uh, for richer, but, but not for poorer. I'm not, I'm not receiving that. I serve Jehovah Jireh, my provider. There ain't gonna be no poorer in our marriage. And, and then it says there's a place where it says for sickness, and in health. No, no, no. I don't want any part of that because, see, I said Jehovah Rapha, my healer. He has commanded his angels to encamp around me. Ain't no sickness. <laughs> do you understand how hard it is to be a pastor? You got to listen to people and you're not allowed to laugh out loud at them. Mm, mm-hmm. Inside you're like, ah! I don't know who wrote those traditional vows, but I do know why they wrote them because they want to make sure as you're standing in front of the person that you're pledging your life to, in front of family and friends, in front of the pastor. And by the way, God's there too, y'all. They want to make sure that you understand what you're getting into. You're not getting into a journey of skipping through the tulips for the rest of your life. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust alike. And I feel one of the reasons why people are abandoning marriages so often is because they forget the fast that struggling is normal. You hit opposition in a marriage, you hit some contention, you hit a struggle season, and then you start saying dumb stuff. Like, you're not the person I fell in love with. Well, neither are you. It's called growing up. It's called changing. It's a good thing. I've fallen out of love. That's great. You can fall right back in it if you get back to doing the things you used to do. Struggling is normal. It's you're building something. Any architecture engineers will know you have blueprints, but then you have the actual construction site. And things are going to shift. Things are going to change. There's going to be change orders. There's going to be contingencies. Why? Because it always doesn't go as planned. Could you imagine if every building that hit opposition, they just stopped? There probably would not be one completed structure in this entire nation because opposition is normal when you're building something great. But if you're naive and you don't realize that, the first time you hit a bump in the road, you're going to begin to think, oh, maybe this wasn't God. Maybe I made this up. Maybe I was just being too big for my britches. And you're going to abandon it when you're not doing anything wrong except living something called life. Look at your neighbor. Say, it's normal. normal. In Psalm 105, verse 17, it says this. He sent a man before them. That man's name was Joseph. Joseph. Who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in iron until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. It didn't say that the Lord tested him, it said that the word of the Lord tested him. Can I tell you what that test is? The test is can you hold on to the promise that God has given you when everything around you looks the exact opposite? Are you gonna give in on that word of his promise in your life the second things turn in the wrong direction? Or are you gonna be one of those people that said, God said it? I believe it, and that settles it. Remember Big Mouth Joseph? Y'all, y'all gonna bow and worship me? Well, his brothers didn't go to Destiny Church because they got together and said, oh, we ain't gonna put up with this punk. let's kill him. Judah, he was on the dream team though, and he said, no, 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 we're not, we're not murderers, we can't kill him, let's sell him into slavery. Oh, that's so much better. You're so godly. Thank you. So they take him. They sell him into slavery. They take him, and he's sold in Egypt as a slave. He ends up in Potiphar's house. After a few months in Potiphar's house, and they see the blessing and the excellence that he works with, he gets promoted to the lead slave. Here's what that tells me, that when God has blessed me, no one can curse me. You're a slave. Yeah, but I'm the top slave, so don't mess with me. Here he is in Potiphar's house. He's bossing all of the other slaves around. The only problem is Potiphar married one of them desperate housewives. So Potiphar goes on a business trip, and that cooker was like, ah. She said, Joseph, you got to come, and you got to rub my back. And Joseph said, no, 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 no. Listen, watch this. You ready? He said, I can't sin before God. He didn't say this is wrong. He didn't say, I know your husband and he's a great guy. He said, no, God's watching. Until the time that your dream comes to pass, you're gonna have to pass some test. And one of those tests is a test of purity. And it's not just sexual purity, it's emotional and spiritual purity. Am I gonna live my life set apart unto what God thinks, regardless of what anybody else thinks? So she said, oh, that's how you feel, fine. And she made up a lie that he tried to assault her. And remember, he's a Hebrew slave, so nobody's going to listen to him. Next thing you know, he gets thrown into prison. Here he is in prison, and you know the story because he's blessed. So after a few months, he becomes the lead prisoner. Dude, your life stinks. You're in prison. Yeah, but I'm the boss prisoner. What you, what you know about this? I'll come back to this story, but can I fast forward? Fast forward Joseph's 11 brothers. They come and they move into Egypt. They're, they're reconciled. 400 years goes by, and those 12 brothers become 3 million Israelites. The nation of Israel that we know today came out of those 12 brothers. After 400 years, they cried out to God, and he sent Moses. And Moses performed 10 plagues that caused Egypt to release them. They went across the Red Sea. But before they left, God instructed them, ask your Egyptian neighbors that they would give you all their gold and all their silver and all their possessions. When Israel left Egypt, they ransacked the most powerful nation in the world without lifting one sword. Now, just think about this. If Joseph and his 12 brothers went to invade Egypt, how long would the battle have been? Like three minutes. The army wouldn't have been called. The king's soldiers would have taken care of that. But because of what looked like a setback in Joseph's life, it actually was a setup. God was working something that was so much bigger than Joseph could have ever imagined. Joseph just wanted it to be worshiped. God says, I'm trying to make a nation out of you. When you understand that opposition is just a part of the journey, you start getting excited when things go wrong. Because you're like, this is not what I planned. This is not how I thought it was going to be. This must be God up to something. He must be working this out for my good. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 1 says this, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. The Bible says that we should have the same attitude as Jesus. What attitude do you think that is? Well, Jesus was peaceful. Jesus was full of joy. Jesus was gracious. Jesus was merciful. Jesus was willing to forgive. The attitude that this verse is talking about is being long-suffering, willing to suffer. It says, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Can I give you how I interpret this scripture? That when you've been through a little bit of pain, going after the dream that God has for you, you don't have as much time for foolishness as you used to. This just came to my mind. You you may be, you know, kind of a little bit contentious with your spouse or bickering with the child, or or maybe you have a child that's young and they're just growing, but they don't listen very well. (laughs) Roman is like that. and then he gets sick, that boy will do anything I tell him to do. Daddy, daddy, daddy. And I feel so bad because he's, he's drooped over and he's, he's moving all slow. And at least for the three days that his nose is running, he's shaking the car, he's done with sin. <laughs> He'll do anything I tell him to do. Why? Because there's something about pain that it humbles you. Anybody go to one of those jobs where they gossip and they always want to talk about, you know, this person doing this, this person doing that, can't you believe he did this? can you believe they passed me up for this and all that other kind of stuff? And you're looking at them like, listen, okay, I'm going to be in my office. And whenever you're done, all the little middle school foolishness, come find me so we can move on. Here's what happened. You've been through some pain and you realize I don't have time for that foolishness. I don't have time to get involved with that. When you're about doing something serious, come find me. I, I, I have a personality. I... I like to say that I'm a fighter, but not like a physical fighter. I'm just the type of person that just doesn't take no. Like I kick doors in, I make things happen. If you say black, I say white. You say blue, I say pink with polka dots and orange stripes. Like I just have to be the opposite. It's just the way that I'm wired. And growing up, I found out that I would get into arguments that meant nothing. And I'd want to stand up for things that nobody cared about but after a little bit of maturity, God's just shown me that that's the personality that he's given me so that I can fight through the opposition that's in the way of my destiny and nothing else. If you're not blocking me from getting to where God's called me to be, I don't got no time. (laughs) Pastor, you know, they talking about you. They said this, they said that, they just said this. I said, do they have the power to block me from what God has for me? No, no, I don't think so. Okay, so who cares? Somebody needs to. you are wasting energy on, and sleep yes. on a situation that cannot keep you from all that God has for you. Go to sleep, put the phone down, who cares what they said, keep moving. Every dream takes time, every dream has opposition, and every dream changes. I don't, I don't know how plainly to say it, so I'll just say it plainly, every dream changes. There is not one dream that you have for your life that when you finally step into it, it's gonna look the way that you dreamed it. That's one of the problems for people that are inflexible. You're rigid. I know what God told me, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Well, the Bible says that we prophesy in part. And that dream that you have, it is from God, but it is only a part. And can I just help you out? It's a small part. God, God told me he's going to raise up a business in Atlanta and I'm not leaving. I don't care what comes up. God says he's going to do it in Atlanta and I'm not leaving. Could it be that when it's all said and done, you have a headquarters in Atlanta and then another regional direction in D.C. and then one in L.A. and one in Wichita, Kansas, and you were so hell-bent on staying in Atlanta and not realizing that God is trying to make you national? <laughs> I'm going to have fun. Maybe this is your series in a while, but I'm just having fun right now. There's some people that you're single and you're believing God for your spouse. And he said, I already sent them. What did they do they? <laughs> You've known him for six months. Who, him? Who, her? Oh, no, 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 no. They don't, they don't fit into the picture that God has given me. That, that's, that's not what I'm looking for. How do you know what you're looking for? You'd have found him by now if you knew. <laughs> bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. That's that's two weeks from now. Calm down, calm down, calm down. All right, let's read the Bible. Hey, let's get back back on track. (laughs) Genesis 42, 5, it says this. And the sons of Israel, which were Joseph's brothers, went to buy grain. Somebody say grain. Among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor. Y'all, Joseph made it. He finally got to the place where he was second in command in all of Egypt. He was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. He was in charge of all of Egypt's grain. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before… Oh my gosh, this is a dream. This is a dream coming to pass. They bowed before him. They put their faces to the earth. I love when my brothers read this. I make them read it all the time. (laughs) He says, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan, and we've come to buy food. Back to the story, Joseph's in prison, right? Pharaoh has a dream and nobody in the entire land can interpret Pharaoh's dream, but word got out that Joseph was able to interpret dreams. So they bring Joseph out of prison, they clean him up, and they said, this is your moment. You're standing in front of the king. The king said, I have a dream, and nobody in this land is able to interpret it. If you interpret this, I'm gonna make you the second in command in the entire nation. Hear me, this is a prophetic word. God is getting ready to bring you before the king of your industry. Your moment of opportunity is getting ready to come. And Joseph is standing before the king. And the king said, I heard that you interpret dreams. Can you interpret my dream? And Joseph says, no, sir, I cannot. The cupbearer who endorsed him was like, "Mm mm-mm. Mm-mm. I told him you can't if you don't he ain't just gonna kill you <laughs> interpret that man's dream hold on a second <laughs> <Interpret his dream. laughs> Joseph said I can't but I know the God who can and I can inquire you understand how pain brings humility 17 year old Joseph hey I got a dream all y'all gonna worship me 13 years later, with a little bit of maturity, I heard you can interpret dreams. No, I can't, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Pharaoh said, here's my dream. I saw five fat cattle followed by five of seven skinny cattle and the seven skinny cattle ate the seven fat cattle, but they were still skinny. What does that mean? Joseph said, oh, that's easy. The seven fat cattle represent seven years of prosperity. This land is going to explode with harvest, but it's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And if you would not eat all this, this is an investment message, by the way, if you would save some of the produce and the prosperity, when you hit the season of famine, you're going to have enough for you and you're going to be able to feed every other nation. Pharaoh said, that's really great. You're in charge of the whole country. Joseph said, ah, do I get a coat? Okay, okay, never mind, never mind. So here's what happened, famine hit the land, but Egypt is the only place that had food. And Joseph's brothers were starving to death and they came into Egypt to buy, they thought he was dead. They didn't even recognize him because he looked like an Egyptian. They got on their face and they said, we've come to buy food. This was the dream. His brothers were bowing and worshiping him. Here's the problem, Joseph got the dream wrong. You see, Joseph saw all their sheaves bowing to his and said, you guys are going to worship me. He missed the fact that all the sheaves were grain. And the dream was not about his brothers worshiping him. The dream was about God putting him in a position where his family wouldn't starve to death because he was the only grain that was still standing upright, and he was going to be able to feed his entire family. (laughs) Joseph, it was never about you being powerful. It was always about you saving your family. That's why dreams change, because when we first get them, we approach them with immaturity and we make it all about me. I can't wait to get married and I can't wait to have kids and I can't wait to have money and I can't wait. You know why God wants you to have a lot of money? Not so that you can live in whatever house you want, drive whatever you want, wear whatever you want. That's good, but that's just a byproduct. He wants you to have more than enough so that your children, so that your children's children's children never have to worry about money again. That they can run in the purpose and the plan and the destiny that God has for them so that you can start that charter school that God's placed on your life, that you can have a kingdom. It was never about you. You being blessed is a Byproducts, And hear me, you're gonna be blessed. But that wasn't God's main goal. God's main goal wasn't to get to you. God's main goal was to get through you. He says, until you realize that this dream is bigger than you, I got to make sure that it stays ahead of you. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. God, we're thankful. God, that with all that's going on in this world, all these talented and gifted people, God, you see us. God, you took the time to have a plan, a purpose, a destiny for our lives. And God, we are grateful. Right where you're sitting with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just give God a moment to make this time to make this message personal to you. For some of you, you've given up on some dreams because you faced some opposition and God is reawakening that dream in your heart, saying that opposition didn't mean you were on the wrong track, it actually was confirmation that you were right where you needed to be. For some of you, to be honest, you say, Pastor, I don't know if the dream I'm running after is from God. But here's what I've discovered. God won't give you a kingdom dream unless you give Him your life. Maybe you're like me and you grew up in church and you believe in God. You've just never surrendered control of your life to God. Or maybe this is your first time or you're new in this kind of atmosphere and you didn't even know that God had a plan for your life. Well, hear me, he does. His plan first and foremost is that when you pass away that you spend eternity in heaven with him. But beyond that, his plan is that you would have a great impact here on earth, but it starts with making him the center of your life you're in here you say, Pastor, I can't say that God is the controller of my life. I've never surrendered to him, but I want to. I want to make sure that he has the right place in my heart. You can make that decision right where you're sitting. Can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for seeing me. Thank you for wanting me. Thank you for dying on the cross so that all of my sins, all of my mistakes can be erased today, I surrender. I give you full control of my life. Be my Lord and my Savior and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, church. Can you celebrate for every single person that just made the greatest decision you could ever make?
0: Thanks again for tuning in to this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church, and partner with us through giving. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.